everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. It's been a little while since we got together um, for various reasons that we're going to talk about a bit today um, and also bearing that in mind we're going to take on a slightly different format today and experimental formats that will hopefully in the long run allow us to get together a bit more often and talk about things. So uh, before we get on with explaining that, who we are. I am Pete Davison from MyWayGamer.net and RiceDigital.co.uk and I'm joined as usual by my good friend Chris Kasky from CKaskyArts.com. Hello! Hey Pete, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, yeah, we're in the the long hot summer months at the moment so I'm sitting here mm. with the window open and my fan on and still slightly too hot and sweaty. Um, but uh, yeah, apart from that, not too bad. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's going get, to gonna get hot here today for sure. Yeah yeah anyway so to explain um the reason why we want to try something a little bit different we we are both very aware that it's been a long time since we did our last podcast and sort of since the start of the year really it's been quite tough for both of us to get together to do long uh discussions on particular topics that require some research and that sort of thing so we decided collectively that what we're going to try and do is maybe get together a bit more often and do something a little bit more casual so we're going to chat about stuff uh we won't necessarily have a fixed topic we'll talk a little bit about some of the news and stuff that's been happening of late but we're not necessarily going to do like a formal list of news and what we've been playing and a specific topic each episode it's just going to be things that we want to chat about each time and that hopefully should take a bit of pressure off both of us uh because we're both we're both very busy chaps and uh yeah should be an enjoyable experience for both us and for you the listener as well all being well so um I mean, before we go any further, I think it's probably behooves me to talk a little bit about what I've been up to and why I'm so busy of late, because I, I think I touched on this a little bit last episode, but I can't remember, so I may as well go through it again. Mm -hmm. um, since the start of the year, uh, I have been uh, working as the editorial manager for ricedigital.co.uk, which is a site here in the UK that focuses primarily on um asian popular culture video games anime manga that sort of thing um it's been established for a long time now it started as a site that was sort of mainly focusing on uh doujin games but it's expanded over the years to basically cover all things asian video gaming and um i've had the good fortune to be given a pretty much complete editorial leeway on on what i'm doing um with with me and my team of freelancers so uh, we've been working hard on putting together some regular features each week uh, as well as some coverage on things like seasonal anime and new games and uh, sort of underappreciated and overlooked games as I always like to focus on as well. So yeah, if you haven't yet stopped by uh, Rice Digital since I took over in January, then do please check it out over there because that's where the majority of my writing is happening these days uh, you may have noticed that sort of stuff on Mario Gamer has slowed right down since the start of the year uh, I'm pretty much only posting um, the Atari A to Z videos and the Italian mega feature over there at the moment simply because I'm spending all day every day writing stuff and so you know if I've spent all day every day writing stuff somewhere else <laughs> so the last thing I want to do in the evening is, is is sit down and write some more stuff and put undue pressure on myself. So there's there's still some stuff to enjoy over at Murray Gamer, but uh, the majority of my stuff is at Rice Digital these days as well. Um, alongside that, uh, I've also been doing some work with the the folks over at Evercade as well. Uh, so I've been I've been helping out with uh, them getting prepared for the launch of the Evercade VS, uh, which is something that I'm 
well, we can talk about it in a moment if you want to. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, helping them get prepped with uh, with uh, the launch for the Evercade VS. So I've been doing a bit of testing, a bit of uh, a bit of writing of the manuals and stuff. And so yeah, it's been super exciting to be directly involved with that project. Um, and uh, yeah, when the when the VS actually comes out, you will see my name in the credits, which is very exciting to see. So, um, anyway, well, I mean, while while I've mentioned it, then should we should we talk a little bit about the Evercade VS? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So our fro- our frothing excitement. For- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, the the Evercade itself is a year old now. It had its first anniversary, I think, yesterday, if I remember correctly. Um, so, if you're not yet familiar, the Evercade is a platform uh, by Blaze Entertainment who. Um, and they've been making an effort to do a retro console with officially licensed games. Um, so you, you buy cartridges that are full of games. At the moment, the, the cartridges have sort of between 2 and 20 games on them, depending on sort of how recent the games are and sort of how, quote-unquote, perceived high value they are and that sort of thing. Um, there's a library of, I think, what is it, 19 of them now, I think? Something like that, 18 or 19, uh, with a few more coming in the next couple of months. Um, and the Evercade VS, which was announced a little while back at the time of recording, that is the home console version of the Evercade, because the, the, the first release of the Evercade was a handheld that you can hook up to the TV. But the Evercade VS is a proper console with four uh, USB ports on the front for four-player action. Um, it's the, the first of these sort of mini retro consoles to do 1080p output as well, which is quite exciting. Uh, it give you lovely sharp edges on all your pixels. And they're also doing things like revamping the uh, the whole operating system for it as well. So it'll provide you with a bit more information on the various games and things as well. And there's some top secret things planned for the future as well that I'm not allowed to talk about at the moment. So <laughs> It's got Wi-Fi too, right? That's, yes, yes. It's, it's, it's actually update it, firmware and stuff, like, an old, like a proper console. Yeah, that's right. So the, the, the Wi-Fi initially will be used just for... Uh, firmware updates and the firmware updates can also carry updates to the cartridges as well um, just like the the ones that you download and do through your computer at the moment so if there are any issues with the games which thankfully there haven't been too many of because I mean these are retro games so generally they they've been working for 20 30 years um (laughs) (laughs) but in some cases uh, a few issues have arisen particularly with stuff that's been rebuilt from prototypes or um ported uh or that sort of thing so um yeah there is the possibility for sort of fixing any issues that there might be with some of the games as well and then um yeah the the, the wi-fi being there opens up the possibility for future stuff as well but uh, again nothing sort of officially announced or confirmed on that front yet but uh, exciting things in the pipeline for sure so what 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 are you going to play first on the big screen <laughs> is the question <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Cause correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the Blaze folks are still sorting out licensing issues with the Namco cards, right? Yeah, so unfortunately, the, the Namco have been really awkward for some reason. And the, the two Namco Museum collections, which are currently available for the handheld, for some reason, the licensing agreement for those only applies to the handheld. So they're not allowed to make them work on the VS. So if you put them in, they'll... Excuse the noise outside. Um, if you if you put one of those Namco Museum cartridges in the Evercade VS at launch, it, it, it won't work. So they, they are in negotiations to sort something out with Namco on that front. But uh, yeah, it's important to be aware of that. If you were hoping to pay, 
pack attack on the big screen as i'm sure you were <laughs> yes as, yeah like unfortunately like all, all the games that like pop into mind when it's like what, what are you looking forward to playing for first it was definitely pack attack and and all the slaughterhouse game i mean splatterhouse games yeah um, burning burning force I'm, yeah yeah well i have i have an actual burning force cart and, and i have the and i have the um the analog genesis so i play burning force enough on the team but like some of that rare stuff that I don't have. Yeah, Burning Force is actually one of the few Mega Drive games that I do own as well. So yeah, not the yeah. end of the world, but uh, stuff like Felios and um, and like Splatter and the Splatterhouse two and three stuff mm-hmm. that's kind of hard to get a handle on physically anymore. I've really been looking forward to, but yeah. um, I guess besides that stuff, I think my big thing that I really am excited for is. Um, you know, like we always talk about when we muse about how much we love the Evercade is all the weird shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm really looking forward to that Indie Heroes collection that's coming out. Yeah, um, yep. You know, the Mega Cat stuff. Um, all the weirdness on that first Pico collection. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like those, those, like, that, like, weird Hong Kong Shining Souls style. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Shining <laughs> yeah. Force style game. Like, yeah. all, all that stuff. Because I just don't. I don't love RPGs handheld. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I just like it's hard. Like I, for me, like handheld is kind of just like a pick up and go thing. It's like to like kill fifteen minutes. Like yeah, uh, as yeah. much as I have like so many great RPGs on my like DS and 3DS and stuff, they they don't. Uh, I don't play them as much as I'd like to. But because to, to me, it's just I don't know. There's something about couch cozy eyes on screen that I love with an RPG. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I really want to dig into some of those. You know. Draken and some of the, the the that stuff would be great. Uh, Tanglewood, yeah, sure. I really want to play on the TV. Uh, I think oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of pretty ambiance of like the forest scenes and stuff in the background art, and that game's going to lend itself really well to being on the TV. Mm-hmm. For sure, I haven't experienced that. Um, I'm also really looking forward to having it for the multiplayer opportunities. So, yes. Um, you know, I I, I grew up. Um, when I, so when I was a kid, like what got me into video games was that like my mom and dad had an Atari 2600 mm-hmm. that you know they bought when they were a couple, like before I existed. Yeah, they, they, they had they had their Atari 2600 for fun, and um, you know eventually they just kind of like gave, gave it to me or like you know like I I just kind of played it a lot as a kid before I got my Nintendo. So yeah, um, my parents have really fond memories of. Things like um, uh, air sea battle, or, mm-hmm. or and um, haunted house, and and uh, the original Atari version of asteroids. So like, yeah. it's yeah. gonna be really cool to have those in a format where like when I spend time with my parents, I can be like, hey guys, you wanna you wanna play air sea battle? <laughs> like, yeah. and they'll yeah. they'll be super excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's 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 the new arcade cartridges that are coming as well, and the the Atari collection in there has got Warlords, which is an amazing four player game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, spe- speaking of both the arcade carts and weird games, you are going to absolutely love the Gale Co collection. Yeah, I don't know anything about Gale Co. No, like I, the... I I didn't either before I was sort of looking through this cart and, and testing it and doing some stuff with the manuals, but the yeah, the games on there are just great. <laughs> yeah, they there have. I mean, it makes sense that I don't know anything about them because you know most of my like intense gaming focus, especially like arcade era stuff, is pretty much solely on like the Japanese developed market. Yeah. So like, Galco is a is a Euro house, They're, right? They are Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I mean, all their games have a really distinct visual style. Like, it's mm -hmm. more like, you know, it's a European comic and cartoon style that I would, you know, associate with that. There's a um, fair bit of Japanese influence in there. Like, there's, there's a platform called Thunderhoop that is pretty shamelessly uh, Dragon Ball Z inspired. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, there's there, there's some Japanese influences in there, but there's also it's also recognisable as having some Euro elements as well, um, and it's got that kind of um, sort of uh, I guess early to mid '90s Euro polish. I guess you would describe like it was yeah. it was mainly sort of French games that were known for this this degree of polish uh, in that kind of period. But uh, it seems that the the Spaniards were very good at it as well. From from what I can tell from this uh, this cart. Which is yeah, neat. I'm really, really impressed. What, what's that one? That one's a shooting gallery style shooter. That, what alligator yeah. hunt? Alligator um, hunt. Yeah, that's a, a cabal shooter that's got absolutely gorgeous graphics and animations. And yeah, it's a really I've, odd game, but it looks amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, it's really impressive looking. I've I've gone on record many times on this show uh, for loving cabal style shooters. Um, uh -huh. You know, yeah. Wild Guns is one of my favorite games of all time. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to playing a, a entry in that genre that I've never played before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's I I don't know how much you've read up on it as well, but there's yeah this this does some really interesting and surprising things as well if you yeah, if you get far enough. So yeah, look forward to that. Um, yeah, so lots of things to look forward to. We've got the other the other carts in the sort because of, there's um, there's going to be sort of two main labels on Evercade now there's going to be the red carts that we've got now which are uh, console games um, and there's going to be these purple carts which are the arcade games as well so they're going to be two separate separately numbered lines as well so if you just want to collect the arcade carts or if you just want to collect the console carts you can do that or you can collect both like uh, we're inevitably going to <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um, yeah you know, I, I just the arcade carts open up so much interesting possibility mm -hmm. and you know obviously you know more than i do and there's things you're not allowed to discuss because of your business ties with them but i just like when i look at the arcade carts i just think to my like uh, emulation mame obsession days in like high school and like god what i wouldn't give for like an iram arcade cart with like yeah. the arcade yeah. version of um gun force and the arcade versions of our type one and two you know mm -hmm. like there's yeah. just there's so much possibility there yeah yeah well i i, I can say from what i've seen behind the scenes that the 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 guys are working really hard both on licensing and on making sure that these games run well on the system as well that is i think an, a, a really underappreciated side of what they do these guys aren't just putting roms on a cart with an emulator they are making sure that these games work well on the platform they're making sure that the emulators are fully optimized in a lot of cases they've been sort of actually customizing the emulators to maximize performance on the handheld and on the console as well so the, yeah they are really working hard to make sure that we get the absolute best possible experience from all these games so yeah, hats off, hats off to them. Sort of knowing knowing what hard work they put in on a daily basis. It's really sort of humbling to see how how much they care for retro gaming and how much they care for making sure that revisiting these games in a official sense can be the best experience possible. So yeah, I mean, I've often gone on record as as not being a fan of emulation based consoles, right? Like I don't <laughs> own yeah. I don't own a single one of those mini consoles. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's just something about the way the uh, the Evercade is made and curated. It just 
you know the fact that everything's officially licensed yeah. obviously and and you can you can just tell like it's yeah. just always a positive polished experience yeah um, yeah and i mean there's it's a simple thing but just the the simple act of putting a cartridge in is is part of the magic of the system because mm -hmm. with, with with those mini consoles that you described um yes they've got all the stuff in there but uh, sort of stuff is all preloaded so you don't have that that sort of physical act of putting something in the console and sort of going right i'm going to play whatever soldier blade now or something like that and actually putting the, the cartridge in there that's that to me has always been an important part of the experience and and yeah while the while the evercade cartridges have multiple games on them uh you've you've still got that choice to make um and it it sort of provides a much greater sense of curation and that sort of thing which which really works well so yeah it's it's the care that's gone into not only understanding the games themselves what makes them great and what it takes to have them run properly but understanding what um people of our mindset want and need from yeah. a console like it, you know it, you can tell with the evercade the way no. the cartridges are produced Ooh. in terms of their manuals their cases their appearances and labels um that the consoles themselves both the handheld and the new vs how how they're designed they're, they're visually appealing and distinct looking it's yeah it's it's made for people who care about physical media and games as both a business and art like it's it's a product that's not what i would it's the antithesis of everything that like is problematic for me about like modern gaming and like the broad triple a corporate sphere right yeah. where it's like yeah G gaming is a way you know your your eas and, and ubisoft and whatnot right they're they're corporations and and even like sony and nintendo to a certain degree right at the end of the day it's business for them mm -hmm. but they're it's hard sometimes to parse out like the labor of love from a lot of these businesses especially as you hear about developers being shut down for like one unsuccessful game and stuff yeah, like that yeah. so when you see a product like the evercade which is kind of i don't know boutique i guess is the word i would apply to it yeah that's, yeah. that's be being made by people who care deeply about the product not just as not just as a way to make money and to make a living, but also as a way to to pay tribute to 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 archive and preserve to and, and specifically to please the target audience in a way yeah. that isn't manipulative. Yeah. It's it's just so refreshing that there's a product that that just feels like it's for me, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can just yeah. get so excited <laughs> about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel exactly the same way, and like I say, that's why I'm I'm so excited to sort of be involved with them and actually play a part in this and and have my name in the credits of of something that is uh, that has sort of come to mean so much to me over the last year or so. So yeah, super excited for that. So the the Evercade VS is due out in November of this year, and it will be coming out alongside four arcade cartridges. So there is uh, what is it? Technos, Galeco, Atari, and what's the other one data east um yeah, yeah. so the the premium package i think comes with technos and data east if i remember correctly um the founders bundle which i think is now sold out that came with all four of the arcade carts um but as, as with the existing carts the arcade ones will just be uh 15 pounds 20 dollars as well so very very affordable um and then by the time november rolls around we'll also have um 
all of the other currently announced red cartridges will be out as well so we'll have stuff like the codemasters collection will be with us uh, we'll have the Intellivision collection we'll have the mega cat 2 indie heroes worms so yeah loads and loads of games to enjoy by the end of the year oh so neat stuff on that mega cat 2 cart i really Me- mega cat 2 is fantastic i i have had the good fortune to to play through most of the stuff on there there's some superb stuff on that one so yeah, yeah. look forward to that yeah yeah it's a good time yeah and, and like the premium bundle is really hard to pass up you know mm-hmm. you get you get two carts and two controllers right off the yeah. bat like it's yeah. such a good it's such a good pickup mm-hmm. yeah and they're working hard to make it compatible with as many usb controllers as possible as well uh so they've made a particular effort to make sure it works with stuff like the um oh who are they called is it iron 8 bit or retro bit Oh, Retrobit. Yeah, there's the Retro two, bit, two yeah. the two big players right now are, are, are in that sphere: are Retrobit and Eight uh, Bit Do. Yes, or Eight yes. Bit Do, or however I'm supposed to say that. Yes, yes. So, so they've they've been specifically working with those because they 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 know how popular those controllers are. So those will be supported right out of the box as well. So if you've got some of those controllers, whether they're wired or wireless, they should work with the Evercade VS from day one. So yeah, that's very exciting. As soon as you showed, as soon as the VS was announced, and like the first images, and that it was, and, he was, and the fact that it was USB compatible, like the first thing I thought of is I have the, I have that beautiful like special anniversary edition Saturn controller that Retrobit released that comes with oh, yeah. Yeah. a USB dongle and a Saturn dongle, and I was like, yeah. oh, I can use saturn controller to play all these amazing 2d games now like the, saturn, <laughs> the saturn controller has like the best d-pad for 2d games and it's just yeah. it's it's going to be so perfect mm. yeah yeah really looking forward to that for sure all right um okay shall we move on a bit um shall we talk a little bit about e3 because uh, <laughs> ar- around this yes, around let's. this time yeah around this time sort of for the last couple of years we we did a special e3 episode but and i think I think part of the part of the reason we wanted to change format this year is E3 this year is such dog shit that I didn't think we could get a full episode out of it. So yeah, that um, was what prompted the conversations <laughs> about changing our format entirely. We're like, we don't have a topic in mind. We can't talk about E3 for a freaking hour. Let's, <laughs> let's radically revitalize the entire format of our show. <laughs> oh dear. Well. Um, so E3 this year, with obviously with the whole pandemic situation, it was a, an online only event. So we had the um, the, the various uh, press conferences and so on. We had Jeff Keighley standing around talking about stuff that no one really cared about. We had uh, a Nintendo Directs and some things, and it was. I mean, there was. It, it wasn't a complete write off. I, I will say now, it wasn't a complete write off. But but compared to if you think of E three from like ten years ago or something like that, and how much excitement there was around them, and how much hype there was for new things coming and new hardware and new installments in franchises and new franchises and that sort of thing this year was just such a wet fart in comparison i was gonna say it's it's a it's it's just more like proof to me i don't know that like you know we're probably gonna eventually become pariahs for this but just like the new xbox and a new playstation are so uninteresting yeah like this was the this was the first e3 with two new major consoles on the market and they had nothing. And I no mean, one had anything I, interesting to share or show for those consoles. And everything that they showed for those consoles that was interesting was also going to be available on PS4 and, and, and previous generation Xbox. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean I mean pe- people came away from E3 saying that 
I mean, you've always got to have someone who wins E3, don't you? So, so people yeah. people came away from from Nintendo's presentation saying that Nintendo won E3, and sort of in comparison to the other stuff that was going on E3, Nintendo was the strongest. But e- even for Nintendo, I think that was a that was a relatively weak showing as a whole. <laughs> Um, I mean, they, they had Metroid Dread, which is amazing. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We had Advance Wars again, which we'll talk about in a moment, which is also amazing. Um, but I just felt like they, they they just lacked that sort of universally appealing big hitter that, like, it completely lacked like a Mario Odyssey two or something like that. Yeah, and a lot of people thought that was coming. Mm, yeah, a lot yeah. of people. Uh, I can't remember. Um you know, one of the, those, you know, you know, there's those like guys on Twitter who are like the leak guys. Like, well, I yeah. know all the insider knowledge and they're like almost always right. And like one of those guys I, w- I watched an interview with on YouTube and he was like, my sources say that the Mario Odyssey team is working on a Donkey Kong reboot, like a full uh-huh. 3D, like Mario Odyssey style, like a big 3D platformer reboot of Donkey Kong from a Japanese dev team. Yeah. And like people were freaking out, like we were we're gonna see this at E three this year. And like this is a guy who was like right about a lot of things usually. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean he still could be right. Like it still could be happening, but like people were getting hyped up to potentially see that. <laughs> and it was yeah. just like yeah, like the most exciting thing about the Nintendo for me was Advance Wars. So the most exciting thing for me is a re- is a three D remake of like two Game Boy Advance games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, of course, Metroid looks good, but yeah, you know, the last yeah. 2D Metroid was good. The 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 one that uh, Mercury Steam did on the 3DS, the remake of two, was quite yes. good. So it's not like I'm, it's not like I haven't, you know, they everyone keeps being like there hasn't been a 2D Metroid in a decade. Well, no, there was one like two years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it was quite good. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think Mercury Steam are involved with this one as well. So sort of signs signs are good for this one also being good and also there's the there's the the whole sort of troubled development history of this which i didn't really know much about beforehand but metroid dread has been on the way for like 10 years um they they they've been trying to make this game for such a long time at this point and for it to finally be a thing that exists that we will be able to buy in october is actually kind of remarkable but Sort of during the during the direct, they didn't make a huge deal of that. They they put out a video almost immediately afterwards. It was like, here is the story of Metroid Dread, and everyone was like, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. Maybe you should have made a bit more of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we can all agree that the new Nintendo guy is not nearly like the showman that Iwata was. Like, he no. doesn't really have a presence. No. So, like, I can I can imagine like in a, in someone like Iwata coming up and being like uh, really doing like story building around that whole mm-hmm. history to like create hype. But like, I can't imagine the new guy doing that. He just doesn't look comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's 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 just sort of polite Japanese businessman, isn't he? He's, he's he, yeah. He doesn't have the the sort of presence that Iwata had. So yes, he is sadly missed. But um. Yeah, Advance Wars is cool. Um, it, it was sort of even more cool now that we learned that Way Forward are working on it, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is super cool. Um, it'll be good to revisit those games because uh, I, I played both of them, but sort of didn't get super into them because like strategy games are kind of a, a bit of a weak point in my sort of gaming skill set, I guess you'd call it. So I would I would yep. get to a point in Advance Wars where I would just get frustrated and not be able to progress, and I'd sort of put them down and never go back to them at that point. But <laughs> yeah. I love the way they look. I love the sort of personality of them. And although 
Personally, I would have preferred them to do these remakes with pixel art rather than the the sort of um, GB3D visuals that they've got now. The the sort of um, the character animations in this are lovely. Yeah, it's really um, cool. And uh, yeah, if it plays as solidly as the originals, then cool. I, I, I will certainly give them another chance. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Like as soon as that announcement happened, I got so hyped and I started playing Tiny Metal. Oh yeah, yeah. Which which is uh, Tiny Metal is like an indie game that's basically just a, a new Advance Wars. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's worked on by some people, yeah, you know, some of the same team members who worked on the original games. Um, it's you know, it's, but it's available on modern consoles and it's quite good. So I'm just like now I'm just getting my tiny army man's fill <laughs> in like yeah. a big way. This actually raises kind of an interesting point that occurred to me while. Uh, sort of they were announcing Metroid Dread and people were being excited over it and and the thing is although we haven't had well I mean we, as you say we had the 2D Metroids uh, whenever whenever that came out on 3DS and so on but part of part of the issue with excitement over this is the fact that other people are doing Metroid and Castlevania and Advance Wars as well as if not better than Nintendo at this point bingo it was really hard for me to get excited about metroid because yeah. the robot i'm gonna get a robot named fight really soon but, yeah. uh, it, you know it's 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 tough and honestly the stewards of these the stewards of these kind of legacies have not been doing as good a job as the indie sphere has been like mm-hmm. blood like i just like i'm always consistently disappointed by how much of a mess bloodstained was Mm. Like, you know, you would be hard-pressed to find anything I, I could possibly be more excited in the world for than I was for Bloodstained. And it just was so meh. And <laughs> like, But there's so many better games in that genre now, made by dudes of, like, great groups of three in their attic, that, like, I don't... Like, I don't really get that excited anymore. Because, like, you know... <laughs> you yeah. know, we were just talking... You, you just were telling me the other day you started playing... Um, Way forwards, Mummy Demastered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I but, just beat that a couple weeks ago, and that game's amazing. Yeah. Also, that game is Super Metroid. <laughs> Pretty much so. It's like if yeah. Metroid and Contra had a baby. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And then, um, sort of recently, over on Rice, I covered um, Astalon, Tears of the Earth, which yes. is an amazing, an amazing sort of Castlevania. But actually, it's, it's it's not just Castlevania. It's the thing. What they've done with that game is they've blended elements of Castlevania, of Mega Man, of roguelites, of various other things, and they they've they've created something that, although it's paying homage to these genres that people really like, it's also doing something new with them by blending all these different elements together. Um, and so yeah, there's so, there's so much exciting stuff going on in the indie sphere in that regard that, as you say, it's it's sometimes a little hard to get excited for, for certain ones. And I I find it's I find it difficult to get excited for an announcement of a new game like this. I find it easier to get excited when I've actually played it for a bit. Like when I when I when Astalon was first announced, I, I saw it and I thought, oh okay, it's another another game that looks like an NES game that sort of claims to be inspired by the classics. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And then I played it. And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so that's sure. that's a really tricky thing for today's developers is actually getting people past that initial sort of um, I don't know what you'd call it really, just sort of sort of reluctance to actually try something because uh, first impressions count, but it's it's very difficult to sort of get across what's unique about your game without people being able to play them. 
actually been yeah. able to sit down and play them. It's a very fine balance because, like, I'm also like very anti the like class, like people. Whenever someone drops like the at the five hour mark, it gets really good. You know, like mm -hmm. when people drop that, I'm like, no, no. If a, if a game takes two hours to get good, the game's not good. <laughs> like I I need to be engaged by. If not the story, then the mechanics or the visuals. Something about it needs to immediately, within the first hour, tell me it's worth my time. Because there's yeah. other game, there's other games I can play that do that. So it's a very fine balance between being able to rope you in to, to to convince you that it's worthwhile, and being able to do that in a time frame within its gameplay that isn't. Um, too far in that you've already lost the battle i yeah. guess is, is what i'm trying to say like yeah. i had a very similar experience um with a game called time spinner a little while mm -hmm. ago um yeah. i think i mentioned to you that I, I had been playing that and i played all the way through that and um you know i had just kind of bought time spinner on a whim because it looked pretty right like it looked like an snes like late era snes early era ps1 pixel art right side scrolling game and um Within the first 20 minutes, like, some of its mechanics had laid itself bare to me. And I was like, I'm going to have to beat this game. <laughs> like, like, that's like that's what I need. You, you know what I mean? Like, I need that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, what what is valuable and good to you is going to vary from person to person as well. So, so for example, I know, I know that something that... I would have a lot more patience for than you uh, would be something that sort of like is, is really good in the story in the first couple of hours but takes a little while for the, the mechanics to catch up if you see what I mean so like sure. if you think of the, if you think of the way that like a lot of modern personas go for example most modern personas from three onwards they have like two hours of story to begin with which a lot of people don't have the patience for um, I love that 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 gets me engaged immediately but i also understand why people want to get straight into the action and doing stuff as well so that's something that's always going to be different for everyone but yeah if if something seemingly has no redeeming value whatsoever for the first two or three hours then yeah yeah it's it's, it's just, not going to be interested in the long term yeah gonna, yeah you know like i've always like i always say man final fantasy 7 i've said it before i'll say it again final fantasy 7 hit start cinematic first battle sequence yeah yeah, yeah. Final <laughs> Fantasy Seven is the perfect opening. It's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, so that that's it's tough, tough with what E three is now. Did you did you watch Capcom's? No, no. I, <laughs> I Capcom's is Capcom's the one that was all stuff that's already out. So some stuff that's already out, but all stuff we knew. Like, there was no new announcements. Yeah. The only new the only really new announcement, quote unquote, in the Capcom live stream was that DLC was coming for Resident Evil Village. No, sh <laughs> no shit. DLC is coming for a popular AAA game. Like, <laughs> yeah, but like they spent like they spent like twenty minutes talking about monster hunter stories too like great yeah. I'm, I'm super hyped for monster hunter story too you know when i became super hyped for monster hunter stories too last summer when you announced mm -hmm. it yep <laughs> like, I, don't need, <laughs> I don't i don't need you to spend time on this shit i want to know what you're working on now mm -hmm. um but i think you know this is all i think endemic of um the impact of the pandemic really 
Yeah. I don't think these companies had anything to show because these companies, unlike the usual years, don't have as much stuff in the pipeline. Yeah. Between yeah. Be- between people working from homes, teams being dispersed, um, God forbid, people having passed. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it, there's probably just not as much in the pipeline as there would be, especially in the bigger spheres in, in traditional developer environments where there'd be a hundred people in a building together. Yeah. Collaborating. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the most exciting stuff we're seeing right now is indie games, independent yeah. developers, like groups of five or six people, um, single independent developers of just you know one man team stuff. That's that's what's really booming right now because that's what's possible in the past two years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that argument can take you a certain distance. Um, but I mean, Nintendo showed you can still reveal new stuff, or you can reveal new stuff about stuff we knew that was on the way. Yeah. Um, did you Did you watch Take Two's conference? I didn't even know Take Two had a conference. Also, <laughs> okay. remind me again who is Take Two? Take Two. Yeah, they publish <laughs> They publish Grand Theft Auto. So I mean, pretty. Oh, big, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the rock star people. But yeah, okay. one, the fact you didn't know Take Two had a conference speaks volumes. And yeah. two, <laughs> and two, their conference showed no games at all because their conference was a broadcast of a zoom call about diversity and inclusion <laughs> which is exactly what you want to see at e3 isn't it oh yeah well i mean isn't like yeah i mean that makes sense because i think rockstar's been in, the, in been in the news for all the wrong reasons in the past six in the past year or so you know it was like revealed that like they were using like company money to like go to strip joints and shit and, like more like the guys is just like you know like every like every major triple a developer like one of the guys yeah. that runs one of the studios is a borderline rapist and an alcoholic <laughs> and abusive to everyone and the- surprise in the triple a sphere no way but yeah. like i think they probably felt like that was necessary but that's that's endemic of like but I mean, I mean, do it as part of your presentation. Say you're working on Grand Theft Auto Six, and then do <laughs> yeah. like a five-minute segment on diversity and inclusion is important to us. This this conference, which was literally just a Zoom call on screen, went on for forty-five minutes what? and had no game footage, no announcements of any games. It was just people talking. <laughs> Listen, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Same people quote one E three this year that won E three last year and the year before it. Sony won E three. <laughs> By not being there. Yeah, By not absolutely. being there. By realizing that this shit is a waste of their time and money. Yeah. You can't be yeah. the most disappointing person on the pulpit if you don't show up in the first place. Like yeah. it, Good, good on them for saving the, the effort and the money and yep. actually funneling it into making games. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. It is sad, but it's true. Anyway, um, I think that's that's pretty much everything I want to say about E3 for now. But uh, yeah, su- <laughs> suffice to say, suffice to say, uh, not exactly a whole episode in that. But uh, yeah, that is partly partly why we're doing this. Anyway. Anyway, uh, other stuff I want to bring up from a, a sort of news perspective is uh, the most recent thing that has come up that I want to talk about is the fact that four new Trails games are on the way. Yeah. Uh, so, if, if, so if you're as behind on the series as I am, uh, you can enjoy the fact that uh, in total you have well over a thousand hours of game to catch up on. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I still haven't played, la- played the last four Trails games I bought, so... I'm- <laughs> I, can't wait to, I can't wait to notch that up to eight. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. I often jokingly so, say that Trails is my retirement. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what is what happened is that uh, the Epic Games Store accidentally leaked all this a day early. Um, so they 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 put up the store pages for uh, Trails from Zero, Trails to Azure, uh, Trails to what's the other one called? Tra Trails of Reverie and uh, Nayuta Boundless Trails. So what those are, uh, Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure are the two crossbell games that people have been clamoring for for years at this point. Um, they were originally PSP games um, that sort of followed up the Trails in the Sky games and they sort of fill in a missing chunk of narrative that comes... I don't know if it comes between Trails in the Sky and Trails of Cold Steel, but it sort of happens at the same time, I think. Um, but but if, if you play Trails in the Sky, uh, Trails from Zero, Trails to Azure, and Trails of Cold Steel, you will have the complete story of that game world. And then I think Trails to Reverie follows all of that, I think, is the way it works. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's like the wrap-up, basically, yeah. you're saying. It kind of combines... There's going to be characters from, like, all of them. In yes, it. yeah, yeah. So the, the exciting thing about the two Crossbell games is that... Um, a month or two back, um, there is a fan translation community called the Geofront. They they completed their fan translations of both of those games. Um, and what happened is that uh, NAS approached them and said, hey, you've done some good work there. Uh, you want to work with us? And they said, yes. <laughs> um, so basically, these the, the two crossbow games that are already translated, uh, NAS are, are going to take the work that the the geofront did on that on that existing fan, fan translation polish it up maybe tweak a few things here and there and that will be the basis of these new games uh because the alternative because the trails games have such notoriously massive scripts in them the alternative would be these games don't come out for another four or five years i mean as it stands um trails from zero isn't coming out until autumn of next year 2022 and trails to azure isn't coming out until 2023 which is still a long way off but if nis were starting from scratch it would be even longer um yeah yeah uh i guess i really recommend if anyone hasn't seen it uh, there's a there's a youtuber i really like he goes by matt mcmuscles and he does this recurring uh recurring show he calls what happened where he looks yes at, um, yeah he looks at sometimes failures in the game industry sometimes successful games that just had like a notoriously rocky development cycle just like in general he kind of digs into basically problematic development cycles yeah. um and he did an episode on the trails in the sky yeah um just really digging deep into the history of like the the issues with the translation and like everyone who all the many hands who touched it and how many years it took for trails uh, in the sky 2 to become a yeah. thing that people could well, how many careers it destroyed just yeah. for its sheer massiveness like well tra trails in the sky 2 was a particularly notorious one because um andrew dice of carpe fulga the the guys who brought us reseteer and chantelise was working on that yeah and it, like broke him he ne he he literally nearly killed himself over it like he he did a, a full-on blog post explaining exactly what working on that project had done to him and it, he he nearly killed himself over that project mm -hmm. and it's it's just such a such a sort of heart-wrenching read to 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 see that 
obviously he felt so strongly about this project that he wanted to do a good job on it but also it was absolutely crushing him with the the weight of the expectations of the fans and the people he was working with and that sort of thing there was there was so much riding on that that yeah he he had real trouble dealing with that so and i completely understand now thankfully there doesn't seem to have been anything of that sort of severity as has happened with the project ever since like both uh Exceed's work on cold steel and uh nas's work on cold steel since they took it over seems to have been managed very well and they, they've even done things like sort of brought bringing people back on board who used to work for Exceed. like they brought on um hatsu uh mm-hmm. britney avery to, to to help work on cold steel um with cold steel three and four for example so hopefully Hopefully the curse is broken, but uh, yeah, that that series has certainly had its fair share of troubles over the years. <laughs> oh, can we please just for a moment muse about our dream of a complete Trails in the Sky cart for the Switch? Yeah, all th- yeah. of all three of them. <laughs> yeah, because I, think- I, I have I've invested in Cold Steel in the PS4. Yeah, because um, I usually usually my rule of thumb is like if a game's got 3D visuals, I usually buy it on the PS4 because mm-hmm. you know everything yeah. just runs better. So like I'll get Reverie. Tales of Trails into Reverie on the PS4 to go with my Cold Steel set. But these PSP ports, I'm totally getting on the Switch. They're just yeah. right for the Switch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would I would love to see Trail Trails in the Sky on on Switch, as we saw. And if um if the crossbow games sort of do well on Switch, I, I can potentially see that happening. So I think the part of the hesitation over these games, I think, is the fact that they're ten-year-old PSP games at this point, and so obviously, obviously, releasing these to an audience in 2021, 2022 is always going to be seen as a bit risky. But I think Falcom fans, for all their many, many faults, have sort of demonstrated fairly, fairly ably over the course of the last decade or so that they want these games and they I will li- pay for these games. <laughs> I literally buy everything Falcom. Every, I buy every Falcom game that gets translated into the West, and as we just yeah. discussed, whether or not I play them. Mm-hmm. I buy them, you know. I, I bought East Monstrum Knox right away, and I haven't even played East. Uh, they, no, East I haven't either. East eight yet. <laughs> you know, I have all four Cold Steel games on the PS4. Haven't touched yeah. them. Hell, I have the original uh, Legend of Heroes Gagarv trilogy on the PSP. All three of the, uh, all three of those, and I've only played the first one. Yeah, <laughs> like I will buy anything with Falcom's name on if you give me a physical copy. Mm-hmm. day yeah. one and i make an a point to pre-order and pay full price yeah because i to vote with my vote with my wallet as they say yeah. that's how you make the industry go yeah yeah definitely that's that's super important and that's i think it's worth highlighting that the the gf rent have have said this on their post where they announced their involvement with nas they said uh look we've done all this work and we were providing these fan translations for free but it was just because there was no way of getting an official english version of these so what they've done is they've taken down their fan translations down they've said if you want to play these buy them because that's how you send a message to people that you want them um which i i think as i i I haven't actually seen much backlash from it but i i suspect some people probably wouldn't have been all that happy about that Uh but yeah yeah you know (laughs) you know if if you want proper localizations of things if you want series to survive in your territory you need to support them properly so uh, you know uh, not to turn this into a screed about the responsibility of purchasing product and mm-hmm. and voting with your wallet but i'll never i'll never forget i had a I had a friend back in college and it was right when um 
the last Onimusha game came out, Dawn of Souls, on the PS2. Yeah. And, and I went over to my friend's house with my new copy of that, and I popped that in, and we played it. He was like, yeah, this is pretty good, I'd pirate it. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, no, you done. You don't play it at all. <laughs> it, it, the video video games are not something you're entitled to have. Yes. You, yeah. You're not. You're not. You're not allowed to have them. You're not. You don't have a right to own or play a game. Mm. It is a product you buy because you are interested. Because you see the people who made this thing deserve some of your money for the product they've produced, and you purchase it, and then you enjoy the product you purchased. <laughs> like it's just this is the contract this is this is the market this is how art and even even you know even commercialized art as much as video games are commercialized art not art in the truest sense but this is yeah. this is how the production of media and entertainment works you're not entitled yeah. to anything yeah yeah it is it is a, a that is a worryingly widespread viewpoint these days like particularly with um sort of um streaming video and stuff as well like anime and stuff so many people think they are entitled to do two episodes of anime without paying for them because no. they don't like crunchyroll or they don't like funimation or whatever it's like well fuck off because you know those people are bringing these episodes to you they are making sure that they have a presence in the west so you know if you want to watch them you you don't just have the right to watch those things because because you're interested in them you need to show that you have an interest in them you show that you care about them sure i mean I'll, and you know like i said not to turn this into a whole huge lecture about like the moral implications of like piracy mm -hmm. and buying things and not buying things but like I, I i can and have and will make arguments in defense of certain types of piracy yeah such yeah, as, yeah such as emulation like yeah rest rest assured now this was something that has both been announced that's how long it's been since we did episodes right it was both announced and then reversed right with the, the whole sony playstation network thing that the yeah. playstation uh, the psp and ps3 games were going to go away on the playstation network um mm -hmm. And rest assured, if that would have happened, I would have been the first person to say, you are now morally, you get a free pass for winning a pirate, any of those games. Yeah. Because you cannot buy them on the marketplace with, you know, you cannot buy them on the marketplace in such a way that supports the original artists. Buying games, yes. you, buying games used do not support the creators of that content. And the companies who can sell them for profit so that the artists and original manufacturers of the product benefit are no longer interested in selling you the product. Yeah. So if you can't purchase a product in such a way that benefits the people who created the product, have at it. Yeah, but it's, yeah. But it's, I, I agree. But as soon as it's, you know, but if it's commercially available in such a way that does that, then you have an obligation morally to support that product. Uh, example would be, uh, you know, I've paid no short amount of lip service to R-Type 3 on this podcast. It's one of my mm -hmm. favorite shoot-em-ups of all time. Um, and I've emulated it my whole life because it was no longer in publication when I, um, it was no longer in publication when I discovered it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wasn't going to pay 100 to $200 for a Super Nintendo cartridge mm -hmm. used to, to line someone's some scalper's pockets on eBay. I just wasn't going to do it. It doesn't benefit IRM. It doesn't benefit any of the people who made the product. So I emulated it for most of my life. But IRM pay, paired up with Retrobit and made an officially licensed re-release of R-Type 3. 
Mm-hmm. So I immediately bought it because I yeah. had to. Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to support this product and pay for it in such a way that sends my vote and my voice through to the, both the publishers and creators that more of this, please. That's yeah, how the market. That's yeah. how the market works. Yeah, exactly. I was exactly the same with uh, with Shantae. It was like a while back when I did my mobile gaming feature on Shantae. I played the original Shantae 2 emulation because there was no practical way of getting the Game Boy version without paying £350 for it. Yeah, in a way that doesn't benefit way forward. Yeah, right? exactly. That 350 bucks doesn't go to Matt Boson. <laughs> like it, it... it goes to some eBay scammer who's probably made a reproduction anyway. So, um, yeah, so so the moment that... that uh, that physical release was announced through Limited Run Games. I was like, I, I, I need to own that. I'm probably not going to play Shantae again for a long time, but I need it in my collection because I had so much enjoyment from that game. I will want to play it again someday. And the fact I can support it again in an official way, yeah, perfect. Perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree entirely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've been going for nearly an hour. So, do you want to take a short break and then we'll come back and talk about something else? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Then we can uh, kind right. of spend some time on what we've been playing. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, we'll take a short break now then, so we'll see you in just a moment. Welcome back. So, after our discussion of the news uh, in that first segment there, we realised there's one thing we didn't talk about that we wanted to uh, pay a bit of lip service to before we move on to talking about some of the things we've been playing recently. Um, And that is that uh, several companies have announced that they're going to start doing physical exclusive games. Um, So, I think the first to announce this was uh, Super Rare Games, uh, who who have put together a sort of sub-label called Super Rare Shorts. Um, and then that was followed up by uh, Devolver's um, Limited Press House Special Reserve saying that they were also going to do something very similar um, and release games that were physical exclusive that were supposedly never come to digital download platforms. Um, Super Rare's justification for this was that um, they are sort of funding the development of these games that otherwise probably wouldn't get greenlit by a publisher or uh, might struggle to sort of find a foothold in the market Um, so they're keen to kind of encourage experimental and interesting indie games and that sort of thing things that would be risky under normal circumstances uh, and just release them as these sort of collector's items um, so that people can show their support developers of them can earn a bit of money from them that they can then use to plow into their other projects and i would i i haven't sort of seen um, special reserve specific explanation of why they're doing this as well but i suspect it's something pretty similar as well so sort of an opportunity for developers to put together a game that they know is only going to sell a certain number of copies but assuming it does sell those copies it will help them to fund more ambitious bigger projects from there as well so yeah and with this model when they produce a run of some, you know however many copies they'll produce however many copies is necessary to make the whole effort financially soluble and they're almost yeah. guaranteed to sell that amount so mm-hmm. it's it's very much a a winning scenario from the, yeah from the financial yeah. perspective i think the thing i find i find interesting about this and the reason i think this is actually quite a good idea is because um because there's already attention on 
people like super rare and uh special reserve due to the fact that they do these limited releases already um these physical only releases are going to get a lot more attention than they would if they were just immediately released and buried in the depths of the eShop or or the PlayStation mm-hmm. store or whatever they these games are going to get noticed whereas if you just if you just release something into uh, into the digital marketplace it gets lost almost immediately like yeah. the as uh, as 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 we'll discuss in a moment say like a lot of people are very very angry about this idea because they think it's it's sort of withholding access to to creative works to 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 works of art or products and that sort of thing um but the fact is that it, it, it their main argument against this is like oh you should just release it on itch it's like have you seen the front page of itch the front page of itch <laughs> moves so quickly there is so much stuff released on there every day that you release something and it's gone within less than a day. It's like, how do you expect anyone to find your game on a platform like that these days? I mean, Itch is great. I, I, I love Itch for what it does. I love Itch for being a platform for anyone to release yeah. their game, whatever it is, whatever subject matter it's covering, whatever sort of creative take on mechanics it's doing, whether or not it's just an interactive work of art or whether it's an actual game or so. Yeah. I love Itch for doing that, but yeah. the fact is that discoverability on it absolutely fucking sucks. I was going to say, yeah, like, I don't even have the time to commit to looking for things on Itch. Like, Itch, like, trying to find something you want to play on Itch is, like, the equivalent of, like, using your nose to try to find a Skittle in a litter box. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like <laughs> Like a while back, I bought that um, that bundle for racial equality from from Itch that had like a thousand games. Do you know how many of those games I've played? Oh, maybe two. None of them. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I have played none of those games uh, because there are so many of them. I have no idea where to start. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's just that I mean that, that's endemic of, of digital and jet like Steam, like. I like 400 Steam games. Yeah. I, I like I don't like I don't know what to do or where, and like they're so disposable to me because yeah because I got them for like a dollar and like a humble bundle or something yeah. and it's just like I got out of that game a long time ago because it wasn't really like rendering any enjoyment for me. No, exactly. Like, I mean, I, this is relevant to talk about right now because as we record this, the Steam sale started yesterday. No, I bought no. no I, I have bought nothing in that because I am pretty much immune to it now. Because yeah. because I place such an emphasis on buying physical versions of games these days. Because when I buy a physical version of the game, I see it on my shelf and I think, oh, I should give that a go. Whereas if it's in my Steam library, I just forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's an it's an it's an act of you know like we were discussing in the previous segment. It's a, when you buy a physical game like that more than anything. It's and you play and you pay that premium price for the physical product. It's a it's a vote of confidence in the product, um, and 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 yeah, visibility. And the other thing to remember too, the pe- you know people are getting angry about this whole phenomenon with these physical only games is these companies are being sensitive to the general. Um, complaints people have about this kind of boutique limited press model and just mm-hmm. because they're doing this as physical only doesn't mean they're also only making 2000 copies like like uh for instance a special reserve with their uh with demon throttle their first title they've announced in this they've been very clear and used very specific language in all of their um 
press releases that everyone who wants a copy of Demon Throttle will be able to get one. The, yes. The, the yes. pre-order window is massively long. It's We're talking months, not weeks. Like, they're, they're not trying to scalp with this. They're not trying to create scarcity with this. But they very clearly developed a business model that financially makes their funding of the production of these games make sense and come out yeah. black and that's what we want <laughs> we want everyone yeah. to be made whole we don't want people to lose money on developing games yeah yeah and i think i think one thing worth remembering that a lot of people seem to, f to seem to forget is that all this is this is how you bought games before digital platforms were a thing <laughs> <laughs> that's the big yeah that's the big joke like 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 really child i remember time <laughs> yeah you, you know it's just and i mean right down to the fact that there are only a certain number of copies out there in the wild like a small scale budget game on the ps2 would only have a few copies available so if you didn't yeah. get it when it was first released then you didn't get it unless you unless you sort of bought a traded in copy so I don't know. I, th I think I think there may be a generation thing at play here. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible. It's very very possible. But yeah, I just I don't I don't understand where the rage is coming from. Um, you know, the uh, I keep bringing it up in this episode just because we keep hitting on topics that that are relevant to it. But like voting with your wallet, there is an inverse property as well, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't appreciate something. You don't appreciate a company's business practices. You 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 don't support them. Yeah, you don't exactly. you don't buy the product. Mm -hmm. You don't agree with this practice. Cool. Don't buy these games. Yeah, yeah. You're not entitled to them because mm -hmm. the publication model doesn't suit something that's acceptable to you. Yeah, it's it's up it's up to a seller of a product how that product is sold, and they've clearly yeah. and they've clearly done the math and the strategizing to understand that this is a model that that allows them to be soluble for this product so you either mm -hmm. buy it or you don't yep yep exactly i agree completely but uh yeah not everyone does <laughs> but not everyone's whatever. an adult on the internet <laughs> <laughs> very few people are an adult on the internet in my experience anyway anyway yeah we just wanted to touch on that because that's that's something that was that was worth talking about um i think what we want to shift the discussion over towards now is some of the stuff we've been playing of late so what yeah. have you been up to well uh, as i mentioned in the previous segment i've been playing a lot of tiny metal um yep. which has just just been delightful um it's a really really pleasant modernized take on the advanced war formula i think that the genre that that's kind of settled into title wise they call it uh japanese arcade strategy action Okay. Uh, like so, like the idea is that with these games, uh, games like Advanced Wars, as opposed to other uh, strategy RPGs, like these aren't RPGs because there's no development of character. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. In Advanced Wars, you are presented with a map. That map is the combat scenario, and all units are expendable. It's mm -hmm. not like Final Fantasy Tactics, where you have a character that levels up and develops skills throughout the course of the game. Each map is a fresh. Uh, experience uh, that you start from the ground up and build your strategy and try and try to beat that map as a challenge. So there's very much in like an arcade feel to the way that's structured. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the genre that this has been dubbed, um, and it's exciting because now that they have a title for it, people know how to describe their games when they make something in that in, in that <laughs> in that sphere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I can't recommend Tiny Metal enough. It's really just a new Advance Wars. The end. <laughs> like. 
yeah. in, in, in all but name. And, and I'm, I'm totally there for that. Um, yeah. The other thing that I've really been putting a lot of time into, and like, I know I'm going to get like boo hissed over this because I just, uh, you know, I, I probably went off on screeds about triple a development probably four or five times in the previous segment, but, uh, Oh, am I in love with Assassin's Creed origins? <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Which which one is that? Because I get so confused. That's which the Assassin's ancient Creed is... Egypt one. Right, yeah, I thought it was. And that's the one where they went a bit more action RPG, isn't it? It's is that right? so good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's totally... Um, it takes what was good about prior Assassin's Creed entries and really just gets rid of what didn't work and, and then infuses it with just the right amount of RPG-style character development where it really you feel so much more invested in it and like developing cool. your dude there's um there's gear that drops with yep. um with like, the traditional like color coded like rare rare like you know common rare epic um yep. and, they'll, and they'll have stats applied um there's just you know your character gains experience and levels up in a traditional fashion and unlocks skill points to build uh to gain new skills and all that's wonderful it's mechanically wonderful but the real thing that's amazing is just this beautiful HD, fully explorable rendition of the ancient Nile Delta. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, I mean, that's the one thing the series has always been good at, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's why I always, I always say, like, I love Assassin's Creed for all its warts because I'm a history nerd and it's a history playground. It's like yep. last night before I went to bed, I scaled the lighthouse of Alexandria. <laughs> like it's really, really cool. And I just, you know, we've talked before about both the detractions and the benefits of games with open world structure. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, and I think this is something that, you know, we've talked about off the cast, but you know, you've kind of, come to light come come around on elder scrolls a bit and started to really enjoy oblivion playing it uh -huh. playing it in a bubble away from the hype uh, because you've been able to really enjoy just like exploring and faffing around and doing your own thing yeah yeah the the the, the best open world games are the ones where you don't necessarily have sort of a critical path to follow and you just have a bunch of stuff that you can stumble across and cool stuff happens and i i don't mean in the sort of markers all over the map that you need to systematically clear off i mean things that you just wander around and you think oh that looks interesting i'm going to go and investigate that and that for me is is where i've been able to enjoy oblivion in particular in a way that i i sort of haven't in the past so. sure and i'm having very similar experiences with assassin's creed origins it's very <laughs> much you know when Breath of the Wild was new, right? When Breath of the Zelda Breath of the Wild first came out, people were talking about Zelda Breath of the Wild as if open world games hadn't existed ever before. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was really weird to me. I mean, maybe part of it was people who had never really played an open world game before, and this was their first one. But, um, you know, one of the things that was constantly bandied about when people talked about Breath of the Wild was like, Oh, in this giant world, you see something that's interesting off in the distance and you're compelled to go explore it just for the sake of your own curiosity. Yeah, that's how open world games have always worked. Um, and, 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 <laughs> well, like, I, 
I mean, yes, how it's how they're supposed to work anyway. Yeah, I mean, and yes, Zelda did some specific things with that differently, but that has always been at the core of the open world experience. Mm-hmm. And like, it's especially prevalent in, in AC Origins because it's giving you this world and this culture that unless you're Egyptian, you probably, or an Egyptologist, you probably don't have a hell of a lot of knowledge or experience with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just been to me like, oh, What's that building over there? Do 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 do. Oh, it's a date farm. Do 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 do. Oh, well, I'll talk to the lady that runs the date farm. Oh no, she's being harried nightly by raiders. Oh well, I'll go help her and find where the raider camp is and take them out. Like it's very much like that. And like yeah. obviously, there's a main narrative story that you can run through. And like, but the real joy of this game is that it's allowing me to explore the history and culture of ancient Egypt and have like cool action fun while like helping out strangers. It's these little stories that make it amazing. Not so much Mm -hmm. the big narrative, which is kind of throw away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just, I'm loving every minute of it. I can't stop playing it. Cool. Well, I'm, I mean, I've got a game that I can talk a bit about in that regard as well, and it's 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 sort of outside what people might normally associate with with what we talk about here and the the sort of things I'm best known for covering. But I want to talk a bit about SnowRunner. Oh, okay. SnowRunner. SnowRunner is um, a it's it's the third in a series called Spin Tires, um, which which started off as um, a fairly sort of freeform simulation of uh, off road driving on PC. And it became very well known for having uh, really, really excellent um, sort of terrain modeling and terrain deformation and so on. So it was one of the most sort of in-depth simulations of what what tires do on dirt, basically, and how it sort of churns it up and that sort of thing. And over the course of three games, they've kind of really expanded this into sort of less of a sort of completely freeform sandbox and something with a bit more structure to it now so snow runner is this third game and what they've done is they they've made um sort of these these they feel they feel like large open worlds but actually in terms of in terms of physical area they're not huge um but because you are driving vehicles that sort of average about five miles an hour in them they they feel pretty large <laughs> um and basically what they've done is there's there there are exactly what you were describing about just there there are things all over the map that you can sort of uh you can drive around and you can discover and you like you drive up a road and you go oh okay so a power line's fallen over here so i need to do something about that so in order to in order to sort that out i need to go and get some metal from the town and i need to go and get some uh some 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 scaffolding and some wood planks and that sort of thing so you drive your truck back up to the town you go and collect the bits you take it back to the pylon you sort out the pylon uh, and then the road's clear so you can explore a little bit further and so on and it's it, it's it's just a game in, in which the the joy of exploring in vehicles that are really fun to drive just really comes to the forefront it's not an arcade style thing by any means and it's not quite a full simulation either in that it's it's not like super in-depth on all the switches you have to press and that sort of thing but there's just a really nice balance between um sort of the satisfaction of driving a big truck in a video game and sort of having to think about how you're going to get around this world as well lots Mm -hmm. of different vehicles to drive so you've got little jeeps and stuff that are intended for sort of exploring around the place and then you've got absolutely huge trucks with uh, with cranes on the back that you can sort of grab things with and 
um, sort of pull things out of swamps and all sorts of things. It's 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 a really fun game, and it, it it does all of those things that you're just describing with open world. So you sort of think, oh, okay, there's like there's a radio mast on top of that mountain over there. I wonder if I can. Yeah, I wonder if I can get this truck up there, and you then spend half an hour driving at two miles an hour with your differential lock fully engaged in first gear, crawling up this mountain, hoping that you don't tip over the side and land on your roof. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about that off cast too like when you were telling me about the fun you've been having lately with midtown madness it's just like yeah. for some reason there is a special joy in games in driving big stupid slow powerful vehicles yeah like yeah. even in something as simple as like like gta 5 i love doing the um i love doing the tow truck missions yeah yeah. <laughs> I just like love driving a big clunky tow truck around, like trying to back it up without destroying everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, at, at the time of recording, I've just put out a video on Midtown Madness Three, and during that video in Midtown Madness Three, I, I discovered the the joy of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I, wa- I watched it. It's so much fun. Yeah, and like. The, the reason it works so well is is that uh, so I, I play from the the, the over the bonnet view in Midtown Madness Three, and what they've done in Midtown Madness Three is they've they've really done a good job of sort of positioning your viewpoint as it would be if you were sitting in that vehicle. So sort of like I, I have whenever I back in my sort of childhood, um, we took the bus to school every day, so I have a lot of memories of sitting on a bus and sort of looking out the front of the bus and being familiar with that perspective and so on. Same. And Midtown Madness Three just sort of absolutely nails that feeling of what it's like to be on a bus and how much, uh, how far above everything on the ground you are. And there's just something incredibly satisfying about it, something incredibly enjoyable about driving that vehicle, particularly when combined with Midtown Madness's exaggerated physics. So you can just absolutely plough through the traffic in front of you, send it scattering in all directions. It's it's marvellous. There's nothing quite like it. <laughs> I'm down. But yeah, um, so SnowRunner is, is not quite as... Um, quite as exaggerated as that but it, it does still have plenty of sort of emergent silly moments for you to happen like I, like i was saying normally when climbing up a very narrow foresty muddy path up to the top of a mountain that you need to get to the top of and like you're sort of creeping over these rocks and so on and you sure you feel your car tipping over to the side and you think oh shit this is not gonna go well and <laughs> I've got this great screenshot of, of, of like my Jeep on just on two wheels on its side, sort of right close to the summit of a mountain, and, and I'm just like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, this is why we play video games. Just yeah, this breadth of experiences. Uh-huh. It's just amazing to me what you can do at any given time. Like, yeah. I have no desire to play, you know, certain stripes of games, but I'm still exceedingly grateful that I, they exist. Like, I think about the entire massive communities involved in things like Farm Simulator, and yeah. I just, yeah. I just, you know, I, I don't want to play Farm Simulator, but it's so cool that it's there for people who have those proclivities to, to, to just yeah. invest themselves in it. Yeah. But it's, there's there's a YouTuber I like watching called uh, Squirrel. I think I think I mentioned him around the time that uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator came out because he is a simulation specialist. Okay. Um, he plays a lot of games that are, I I probably wouldn't 
want to actually play but it's it's entertaining to watch him play them because he knows what he's doing um and also he's he's willing to sort of explore things in ways that i perhaps wouldn't think to do so at the moment he's he's playing a game called uh landlord super for example which is um it's basically a first person game about building stuff um but in a in an oddly realistic sort of way so like the the main thrust of the game is that you've you've bought a house but it's a complete shithole and falling to pieces and and your job over the course of the whole game is to basically rebuild it and turn it into a functional house Mm -hmm. um but it does that in in sort of a a really in-depth level of detail so like laying bricks you've got to you've got to mix up your mortar you've got to spread the mortar on there you've got to flatten the mortar out then you put the bricks in in the right places and that sort of thing and I have no desire to play that, but like you say, I love I love that it exists, and I appreciate the fact that uh, that Squirrel makes entertaining videos about this as well because it's enjoyable to watch him engage with it because he knows what he's doing. He's yeah, like I say, he he engages with it in a way that I might not perhaps think to. So uh, one of my all time favorite YouTube channels is that guy you clued me into who does the flight simulator, like like they like they run the airport. Oh, Air Force Proud ninety five. Yeah, he's amazing. That's, that's like the yeah. greatest YouTube. Like, I couldn't give two shits about Flight Simulator, but those guys are so funny, and they help me understand <laughs> the game better and like why people play it. And it's just amazing to me that that's a community that even exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Air Force Proud is amazing. He's um, yeah, he's he's done some absolutely hilarious videos. I love it. But yeah, yeah. So, so lots of lots of broad experiences, and I think this this sort of brings me on to a, a topic I think is is worth talking about in terms of breadth of experiences. And just recently uh, finished at the time of recording is um, Steam Next Fest, which I, I don't know if you looked into this at all, but no. Ste- Steam Next Fest or or various Steam Fests that they seem to do throughout the year now. Um, they are sort of showcase events for um, developers who are working on stuff, but they haven't finished them yet. So I did hear about this. I just kind of didn't engage with it. Yeah. So it's, it's basically a big demo showcase. So they have a, a big part of the store that is just demos. Um, and you can sort of look by different categories of games and that sort of thing. So you think, oh, okay, I want to see demos of roguelikes. I want to see demos of platform games. I want to see demos of driving games. Um and so over, over the course of uh, this last Steam Next Fest, I, I downloaded a few different demos and tried them. And I think I think they're all worth talking about in different ways because they're all very different kinds of games. But yeah. I, I had a lot of fun with them. So um, the first one I want to mention is, is uh, Tormented Souls, uh, which is a game from, I think they're Chilean, the developers. Oh, yeah, that's um, but a it's, physical release, isn't it? I see pre-orders yes, opening for that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so this, this is a game that's coming for pc ps5 and switch uh i think they're considering a ps4 version as well but at the moment it's pc ps5 and switch if it can be on uh, switch it can be on ps4 <laughs> exactly exactly Come on. <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah and the big deal with this is that it's it is classic style survival horror so um it is specifically paying homage to the original resident evil um the early silent hill games and alone in the dark oh. um so it's uh, it's fixed camera angles but it's it's done with a 3d engine so so they they move like they do in the original silent hill so that provides plenty of scope for sort of 
uh, deliberately uncomfortable camera angles that feel like something is following you and that sort of thing. Um, and it's got the sort of classic setup of, of uh, sort of creeping around in the dark in an old abandoned hospital and that sort of thing. And there's horrible monsters that are straight out of your nightmares. Um, there's a really interesting uh, mirror world mechanic in it as well. Okay. Uh, where where uh, rather than the Silent Hill approach where you do the stuff in the light world then you do the stuff in the dark world what happens in Tormented Souls is that you find these mirrors hidden away in sort of secret rooms and you can step through the mirror into the mirror world and stuff that you do in the mirror world will then affect the real world in various ways okay um, so in the in the the demo uh, that was available during the the Steam Next Fest a good example is um you, you go into this into this ward in the hospital and you find uh, a corpse on a table that is holding something that you need to get hold of um but because the corpse has got rigor mortis you can't open her hand up and get the get the thing out of her hand because it's so tightly uh, gripped in there um and you see that she, she's lying there she's she's hooked up to like medical equipment and her chest is open and her heart is missing and you're like okay that's a bit weird um as you've been exploring uh, the other parts of the hospital, you will have stumbled across um, these two bits of a plastic heart that you find. Uh, and so, obviously, the first thing you'd think to try is to put the plastic heart in there, but obviously that doesn't work because that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you step in... You, you, it's never stopped you f- survival horror games before. From <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's never stopped survival horror games from making sense. But in this case, it doesn't work. So, <laughs> so what you do is you explore a bit further and you find one of these mirrors and you step into this dark mirror dimension and you go to where this corpse was and instead of where, where the corpse is there's there is a doll lying on the table with its chest open so you put the plastic heart in the doll instead and the oh. doll comes to life and is all creepy and so on and then when you go back into the real world this lady mysteriously has her heart again and her, her heart is beating again it allows her hand to release the thing that she, that she was holding um, and you can grab it and of course, in true survival horror tradition, if you leave the room and then come back again, she's gone. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds lovely. That sounds very much in the tradition of, um, you know, I'm thinking about that like interesting kind of golden era of PS2 survival horror when we yes. got amazing shit like Rule of Rose and Haunting Ground. Yes, yes, it's 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 very much, it's very much like. Um, the, the Silent Hill games in particular are probably the best the best description of it because there is combat there's not a lot of combat but there is combat uh, but there are complex puzzles it's mm. not just simple Resident Evil put the thing in the thing puzzles yeah. it is proper complex puzzles with riddles with things that you need to pass out for yourself with uh, connections between pieces of information that you need to determine for yourself rather than having them pointed out to you um, and so yeah yeah it's it's really really cool and i'm very much looking forward to the full version of that so um if you like the sound of that then then take a look because it looks lovely and as you say there are there are physical versions available for pre-order now so um you can uh, nab one of those is it uh, a full analog movement or is it like tank rotate movement you can do you can do either if you oh, use the d- yes, if, if you use the d-pad you can rotate tank controls uh whereas if you use the analog stick it's more like uh more recent stuff so oh, yeah both, both that's the only that's the reason i didn't like survival hard games growing up because like i just can't yeah. i can't wrap my head around tank controls mm-hmm. um so like when when like modern survival horror started happening with with analog control i was just like uh, started playing them then you know yes yeah, it's, yeah. it's great um 
so I'll have to keep an eye out for this. This, um, hmm. you know, I love puzzles. So like the, you know, if the complexity of puzzles is there, then this is definitely something I would be into. Um, yeah. I, I specifically, I, I, I mean, I've been opening up to Resident Evil a lot lately, just because the new, some of the newer stuff's been pretty amazing. Um, but generally speaking, like the shooty shoot bang bang, like I don't really like a lot of guns in my survival horror because guns are uh -huh. inherently not scary. Yeah. Um, I would much rather be like a lost and confused 16 year old girl with just with like a broken broomstick is the only thing I have. You know, like, <laughs> that, that, like that to me is survival horror. Um, so I would I'd really be interested to explore this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is great. You you are you are basic. Yeah, you are a, a scared and confused. I, she's not sixteen, but she's like early twenties or so. But sure. uh, yeah, um, like I say, there is combat. You do get a weapon early on, but it's like a it's it's like an improvised shit weapon. It's it's a nail gun uh, that doesn't awesome. really work very well. Um, <laughs> That's so, incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so, so they yeah. had some fun with this. You can tell they had some fun with this because yeah. that's just like pure hard gold right there. Like, yeah, fending off monsters with a nail gun. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that is looking great. Uh, so that was one of the big highlights uh, for me. Um, another one at the completely opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I tried the new one from uh, Witchbeam, um, the creators of Assault Android Cactus. Oh, they have something new come in the way. Yeah, you'll hate it, but um, oh. but it's it it is it is worth a look. Um, it's a game called Unpacking, and uh, what it is is it's a game about unpacking boxes, and it's kind of positioned as a puzzle game, um, but it's not it's not really a puzzle game. I, I guess it sort of is, but what you do is is you have this lovely sort of isometric pixel art representation of a, of a room so you'll like you like the visual side of it certainly um there's this lovely sort of pixel art representation of a room and there's a bunch of cardboard boxes in there so you click the box to open the box you click the box again to take something out of the box and then you click where you want to put the thing that you've taken out of the box somewhere in the room so you put it on a shelf you put it on the bed you put it in a drawer you put it in a cupboard whatever and what you do is you gradually unpack all these boxes, put all the stuff in where you think it's right places. Um, when you've emptied all the boxes, it tells you if anything is in massively the wrong place and you can correct that. But other than that, you have a reasonable amount of freedom to put things where you want. And kind of the intention behind the game is that um, it tells a completely wordless and characterless story. So what you're doing is you, you are unpacking the boxes of this same character at several different points in their life. Um, and so you'll be able to tell things about them from the things that they've chosen to keep and the things that they've left behind and uh, the layout of their room and all that sort of thing. So it's it's a really interesting and very sort of relaxing kind of game that doesn't really have a lot in the way of quote-unquote game-like elements to it, but it, yeah. it, it it's very enjoyable. Yeah, it's it's very enjoyable. From a narrative perspective, it's like, it's like when the, in the last level when it's only one box and all that's in there is a bottle of whiskey and a handgun. You can, you, you can you can interpret uh yeah yeah but it's it's like interesting so, so in the demo they had uh they had two of these stages that are going to be so it was obviously the 
the person's childhood room um and then uh what looks like maybe like their first their first apartment after leaving home or something like that so it's like a like a small apartment so in the in the first one you're just unpacking their bedroom but in the second one you can sort of move back and forth between their kitchen and their bathroom and their bedroom and you, you sort of there's the thing where when you move house you put certain things in the wrong boxes sometimes as well so you'll you'll like you'll like be unpacking the kitchen and you'll sort of pull a bra out of the box or something like that and you're like hmm, that doesn't go there um but yeah yeah it's 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 really interesting um beautifully presented it's got a lovely soundtrack by um what's his name jeff van dyke i think it was he was the guy who did the music for cactus as well um and like i say a really lovely isometric pixel art type aesthetic as well so gameplay wise it's not going to be for everyone for sure but if you are interested in in intriguing methods of storytelling and relaxing puzzle-like experiences then uh that's definitely one worth giving a look yeah that sounds really interesting i'd, I'd never heard of this i had no idea which beam was even working on something else yeah yeah I, I think they only announced it relatively recently um but they have been working on it for a while i think so but yeah that's 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 from them uh other stuff that i found uh noteworthy and interesting there's a game called black academy i played um which i, I primarily looked at because cute anime girl on the thumbnail and i thought oh, okay let's go give that a look <laughs> um what they've done here is they've done a a roguelike uh, sorry a roguelite shoot 'em up oh yeah um, i remember seeing your article about this mm, yeah so so what you've got in this is uh you've got a magical girl shoot 'em up where you you are you are flying through various stages and shooting down enemies and so on but at the end of each short shoot 'em up stage uh, you have a choice of these different portals that you can go into um, and there's like a complete level map uh, of how all these portals link together so you're basically exploring a level while doing horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up and um, you stumble across keys and chests and the chests have different weapon upgrades in them um, and there's loads and loads of different weapons so you start with sort of a basic forward firing shot but there's there's like a weapon that's like the the wave beam in our type and there's uh things that you shoot out and they explode and there's homing missiles and all sorts of things like that so each run is quite different um and you gradually make your way to a boss at the end of a stage and there's bullet hell elements in those boss fights and um yeah it's cool Sounds at the great. moment yeah it, it 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 plays really nicely um it's got nice smooth and responsive controls it's obviously a very early version that this demo was because there's a lot of features missing and a lot of rough edges to it both in the visuals and the and the script and so on but there is a ton of potential in that game um so i i, I hope that ends up being a good one um that is from a korean developer i think um but it's it, it's got a a shockingly high quality anime intro um that that sort of introduces the whole thing um which which i was surprised to see but uh yeah yeah the, the the whole thing has the potential to be really really cool with sort of polishing off some of those uh, some of those rough edges so that's certainly worth a look Neat. yeah that, that sounds really i mean that's you know what mm. could i want more than what could i want more than roguelite gameplay and shoot em up matched yeah. with a shooter like that sounds yeah. like heaven yeah exactly uh another one you might find interesting is um a game called glimmer in mirror Okay. Uh, which which is a uh, it's an open structure side scrolling 2d platform game with some absolutely gorgeous visuals um you you play this uh this girl who was sort of uh floating in the void of emptiness and she found a mirror and the mirror shattered but she found herself inside the mirror and it all 
all, all stuff that doesn't really make sense but sure. basically if you find yourself in this other world and you explore the other world and uh, you shoot stuff so uh, the the actual combat in it is very sort of run and gun style so she oh. sort of shoot, shoots out magic blasts really quickly uh, as you hit the fire button um you explore you find stuff uh there's boss fights uh there's some sort of light but not too obtrusive narrative going on as you progress and like i say the main attraction in this one is the incredible visuals and animation it's it's a beautiful game um so that's that's well worth a look the the, the demo for it is quite short and doesn't show you a ton of what the final game would involve but it, it takes you through sort of an initial area and a boss fight and a, a little bit of the narrative um again a few a few rough edges to polish off here and there particularly with regard to the uh to the english script but again early days and that's something you sort of do later in the development process anyway so that's definitely well worth well worth your time yeah that sounds really cool too yeah um yeah so so lots of really cool things coming out of steam steam next fest um so the next time one of those one of these fests happens i don't know how often they're planning on doing them um but uh yeah next time that rolls around then be sure to take a look at some of the demos because there's some really interesting stuff going on there and you'll build your list of things to go on the limited run forums and, and yeah yeah and, definitely. And scream about wanting a copy of yeah yeah definitely one, one thing worth noting actually um which uh, a lot of people don't seem to be too aware of is that um uh, adding stuff to your wish list on steam is really helpful for developers um because um it's sort of it's it's like an important metric that they track as they're developing stuff and it also helps them get more visibility on steam as well so if you find something that you like the look of on steam even if you have no intention of buying it immediately it is worth adding it to your wish list because that will help out that developer enormously so um if you if you did find any any stuff in steam next fest for example or if you spot anything that you like the look of but you're maybe not going to buy just yet stick it on your wish list and it it helps it helps in a way that um, you don't have to spend any money for, but it's it's just a click. So, a, a lot of people don't seem to be aware of quite how helpful that is. So, it's it's worth mentioning. I think people in general are not aware of how like algorithms and metrics work on the internet. Yeah. I mean, you and I will both attest to that with our absolute exhaustion with attempting to make our <laughs> creative works visible on social media. It's like just yep. like my for the love of God, <laughs> like and comment. It's all yeah. I ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I retweet a, retweet a picture of Nepgear's ass, and I'll get five hundred likes. And it's like here's an interesting article about the first Aragay that ever got localized. Two likes, one retweet. That I, yeah, that I, <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I spent six hours painstakingly researching. Yeah. Here, here's a painting that took me seventy-eight man hours across two months of my exceedingly <laughs> limited free time. Two likes, one comment. <laughs> yeah oh dear yes anyway um anything else you've been up to uh, I've, I've been talking for a while there nah, so. uh I, i've been playing a little bit of rival mega gun that's been oh yeah really interesting uh, yes tell me a play. bit about this because this this looks cool and i think there are still copies available from first press so yeah um when i when i get paid i might try and pick up one of these but it tell would, me a bit more it about would it would be the perfect game for us to play online against each other mm -hmm. on the switch it's it's just fabulous so uh, you ever play twinkle star sprites yep yep it's basically like a spiritual successor to Twinkle Star Sprites. Oh, good. So, that's what that's what I thought it was from what I was looking at. Yeah. I thought, I thought, yeah. Yeah. So what you basically have is a horizontal shooter 
infused with kind of the spirit of competitive puzzle games. So things like yeah. Puzzle Fighter or Poyo. Um, yep. So you have the screen is split in half. You have two players, and you're each playing a uh, I'm sorry, a vertical. You're each playing a vertical shoot 'em up with your ship. Right. You're fighting other ships. You have two hits. You're allowed to get hit twice before you die. Um, and you shoot enemies. It's, it's a typical shoot 'em up. You have a you have a bomb. You have your regular shot, and then you have a secondary shot that attacks that sends an attack over to the other side of your opponent's mm -hmm. board. Yeah. Um, so when you play the shoot 'em up you basically want to just be applying all the normal strategies you would play when you're playing one normally. Um, so you want to be chaining. You want to be catching the popcorn enemies and reducing the amount of downtime between hitting an enemy to keep your chain high. Um, and as you chain, it does two things. A, it fills, it fills your super meter... Um, and that super meter is what you expend to send attacks over to your enemy's side. Mm -hmm. um, if you can fill that super meter all the way up, you can go into what's called mega gun mode. Um, and that's when you turn into a boss, basically, and go over <laughs> to the... Then you go over to the other side as a boss. Awesome. And then you have... And then it totally changes your controls because you're on the top of your opponent's screen and then each button on your controller is a different shot pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you are literally being a shoot 'em up boss trying to take down another player. Um, then also, every time your chain terminates on your side, so like you hit 12 enemies in a row and then you miss the chain. Um, the higher your chain generates vortexes on the side of the um, your opponent, when your chain terminates, those vortexes birth additional enemies. Right. So, the higher your chain, the more enemies you're, you're forcing your opponent to fight. While you're also sending barrages of heat-seeking missiles over to their side, and hopefully trying to charge up to become a giant robot over on their mm -hmm. side, like blasting stuff everywhere. It's uh, it's cool. There's there's a couple different ships. They all have a very very wide range of attack styles and patterns. Um, yeah, it's it's just a, it's just a ton of fun. There's not a whole heck of a lot to write home about in terms of like level progression and stage design because that's not really what the game's about. Like yeah. the, the yeah. backgrounds are just kind of backgrounds and. It's a, the story's throwaway because it's entirely just meant to be an arcadey versus experience. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's mechanically rich. It's visually great pixel art, aesthetic, bright colors, cool ship designs. Um, it just feels right. The, the, the shooting, the shooting feels right. It's clear that the people who made it paid an incredible amount of attention to, to making not only a unique game but a competent shooter. Um, it's very fun, and it's very interesting to me to play a shooter where there the competitive element isn't 100 percent tied to score yeah like it, it's yeah. more like directly competitive i mean before you know in the shoot 'em up scene without games like this really the competitive quote multiplayer end quote element was either you were playing co-op mode together on screen or you were taking turns trying to do like one cc score comparison runs right yeah this yeah. is very much like i'm gonna try to kill you by being better at this game than you like, <laughs> it, it's 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 the it's fighting game mixed with with uh vertical shoot 'em up in a really thoughtful way that just works mm. 
yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't been done more often. Because, I mean, Twinkle Star Sprites is a great example. This sounds like a really cool example. Um, have you tried the Versus mode on Space Invaders DX? No, not yet. Yeah, as, as part of the Space Invaders, uh, what's it called, the Invincible Collection that we, we both got hold of recently. Yeah. Um, Space Invaders DX has a really good Versus mode that is kind of like this. So you, you, you're playing you're playing kind of a small-scale game of Space Invaders, but certain Space Invaders in your formation are different colours, and when you destroy them, they do different things to either you or your opponent. Okay. And it's 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 a, it's, it's it's very simple, but it's it's a really kind of effective uh, example of what we're describing there, sort of having this direct competition between the pair of you while you're sort of focusing on your own thing, but you're also trying to prioritise the things that will inconvenience your opponent as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun. This is the you know this is the kind of multiplayer stuff I can really get into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can't I can't recommend it enough. And you know, we've talked potentially uh, as we experiment with the evolving structure of this podcast about um, doing like chat and chat and play sessions where we you know yeah. we show the game we're playing. Like this would be a great yeah. game for us to do that with. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's, there's a bunch of things I would like to to try together and say what, what we're planning on maybe trying in this in this respect is uh playing some multiplayer stuff together uh for one thing um and also if i can figure out how to how to stream something from my capture setup to you via discord as well i i can play something and maybe you can sort of comment on what we're doing as well so we will experiment with all these things going forward lots and lots of possibilities and sort of our, our more sort of casual approach to this will mean that we can we can try different things and if they work great if they don't well whatever <laughs> and, and, and that's also to say too that we're not completely discounting uh the dedicated topic episodes absolutely but, um, we you know when we decide we've come up with an interesting topic worth spending the time on instead of doing two hours of talk about news and what we've been playing before and then doing another two hours on a topic and making these beastly podcasts we'll probably just do a special episode about said topic yeah i think what will probably tend to happen a bit more is it's kind of kind of something that's already happened today which is that certain topics will naturally come up as we talk about what we've been playing lately or what's been happening in the news lately so i think that's that's what will probably tend to happen in the long term but yeah hmm. if, if there is like a, a particular um thing that we want to focus on um yeah one week yeah well we can always do a special episode or something like that i think i think we probably got scope to uh for example when when we get our limited run copies of the castlevania collection we could do a castlevania episode or something like that might be yes fun. yeah yeah that would be very cool yeah so yeah lots of possibilities and, and we're really hoping that this open structure is something that uh, is beneficial to everybody out there um our hope is that it means shorter more digestible podcasts more frequently which mm -hmm. benefits everybody yeah, absolutely. All right. On that note, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I, I, I think uh, I think that's me today. Um, I got a nice, relatively free weekend to get some get some gaming in, so I'm really hoping to check out a few things in the backlog. So. Yeah, yeah, same here. I was uh, I was I was hoping I would have a copy of Mario Golf uh, yesterday evening uh, because mm, it was supposed yeah. to arrive yesterday evening, but it, it didn't show up. So I was hoping to be able to talk a bit about that today, but. Um, it should be arriving today all being well if amazon are doing their job properly or well if, if they were doing their job properly it would have been here yesterday but uh, <laughs> hopefully i will have some more to talk about with that very soon anyway all right would you like to tell people where they can track you down online uh sure as always you can find my artwork at ccaskyart.com 
Um, there's also links on there to my DeviantArt gallery page. Uh, my screen name on DeviantArt is uh, Mr. Gilder, M-R-G-I-L-D-E-R. -E uh, please uh, pop on and give my stuff a look. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And you can find me in a bunch of places on the internet at the moment. As I say, the Atelier Mega feature is continuing over at MarioGamer.net. At the moment, we're currently looking at Atelier Sophie, uh, first of the mysterious games. Uh, you can find most of my writing uh, for the day job over at ricedigital.co.uk. And we've also just launched a new site called retrounites.co.uk as well. That's sort of gone into soft launch at the minute. And we're doing an official announcement and sort of properly getting that rolling at the start of July. So uh, go and check that out by now um if, if you want to take a look at it early on uh, but that will sort of have a lot more stuff happening with it uh, once july rolls around as well uh, and of course there is all my stuff on youtube as well there are the atari a to z series three of those every week uh tuesdays atari 8-bit games thursdays atari st games and saturdays atari 2600 arcade and 5200 games and i've also just launched my new retro select series as well which will be on fridays and that's just I've got a retro game I feel like playing, so I'm going to play it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, just remains for us to say, as always, thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we'll see you again next time.